The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. Well, let's start with uh, the courts today because two big court cases we're watching. The one is the Senzo Miyua trials and Dile Kumalo's on the stand there. And then also five people accused of assisting the escape of convicted Facebook rapist Thabo Besta and his partner Nandipa Magudamana appearing in the Bloemfontein Magistrates Court today. Uh, there is a bail application underway there for the five former G4S employees implicated in the Thabo Besta escape. The court is been hearing about how a CCTV technician switched off the CCTV cameras in the section of the prison where Bester was being detained in the early hours of that day. The cameras had been functioning fine before that, but uh, of course, as he was escaping, the cameras were switched off. Have a listen to the lawyer for accused number five arguing earlier today. You don't, you agree with me, you don't have any evidence that if the court release applicant five today on bail, she will avoid the trial. And when I have a badge, but how can I tell her, I look like a baby that's in Lena, but nobody is in her. Yes, I do not have such evidence. You also agree with me, you don't have any evidence that applicant five, if she released on bail, she will interfere with state witnesses. And I have a little bit of a badge, and I'm going to go on some of the hackers, so I can tell you, I do not know. That is the lawyer for accused number five in that bail application. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, watching proceedings for us today. Oren in studio with me now. Uh, take us through the events of this morning in this bail application. Sure. Um, afternoon, Mandy. So basically what we heard right now playing was Gary Boerter, and he is the attorney for accused eight in the matter, Natasha Janssen, who is applicant number five in the bail application. And basically, Natasha Janssen was a CCR controller. She sat in the central control room on the morning that Best had escaped, and she is being accused of opening the doors together with Teheo Franz Makotza. Um, they both sat in that control room and accused of opening the doors to allow Best to escape. Now, her attorney is arguing that Best, um, it came out in court last week that Best had been dressed in a G4S uniform. So her attorney is arguing that maybe his client did not know that it was back, in fact Best that was walking out of prison. Um, we heard a couple of other things the CCTV you touched on. We heard that Tiboho Lupolo, the CCTV tech, he had switched off the cameras just before Best escaped. We understand he escaped around about 3 a.m. on the 3rd of May last year. And then another interesting thing to come out was accused six, Buti Masukela. We found out that he's not in fact being dismissed by G4S, but he's actually suspended. His hearing uh, regarding his dismissal will be heard at the end of this month uh, between the 22nd and the 24th of May. What I find so fascinating about uh, this bail application, this entire scandal, is how many cogs there were that had to turn in order for Tabo Besta to escape. How many people were complicit, allegedly, of course, uh, and it wasn't just one G4S employee, it was multiple. Definitely many, and I think what will be interesting coming out later on in the case and possibly even trial is, um, you know, whether these people, or these five former employees, were actually chosen for their specific roles in, in assisting Best Escape. Because from what we understand, each of them had a significant role within the organization, that being G4S, and actually contributed quite significantly to allowing Bester to walk out of prison.
Uh, Oren, and just very quickly, uh, Tabo Bester not in court. Uh, did he need to appear virtually today at all? Uh, he's not bringing a bail application. So, Mandy, today was basically just a wrap-up of the bail application. We saw it being rolled over on three uh, different occasions. Hopefully, today, the five former G4S employees will be able to get judgment as to whether they're going to be awarded bail or not. Um, in terms of the overall case, which involve, involves all eight accused, that will be back on the 20th of June um, next month. And that we will see Tabo Besta, Dr. Nandipa Magdumana, and her father, Zulile Sikeleni, appear in the Bloemfontein match. Oren, thank you very much. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, watching the Tabo Besta, the accused, five people accused of assisting him to escape applying for bail today. The Midday Report. Let's stay in the court now and go to the Senzo Miwa trial because Zandile Kumalo is continuing her testimony. Kumalo, of course, the sister of Miwa's then-girlfriend, Kelly Kumalo. She was also in her mother's house in Fosleris when Miwa was shot in 2014. She's been talking about the events of that evening, giving us some detail about what happened uh, when when Senzo was shot, when they ran outside, who took him to the hospital. Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter, watching that for us. Khomotso... Uh, give us a sense of what Zandi has been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, it's been another emotional morning for her today on the witness stand. She actually just broke down and we had a quick adjournment um, as she needed some time really just to, you know, to kind of think about what she's been testifying and she needed a bit of a break from all the details that she had been um, giving in court. A little earlier, we heard from her, Mandy, uh, where she was detailing what happened while she was in the bathroom, and she was peeping and could see all of this playing out in front of her. She speaks about one of the intruders following Senzo, who at this point, I believe, had been shot, um, you know, following them into the dining room and then elbowing her mother, who was trying to hide a cell phone. She says the intruder then grabbed the cell phone and left the house. I think an important point that came from this testimony today is um, the issue around why nobody called an ambulance or police. That's a question that's been asked by the defense repeatedly to the two other witnesses that came before Zandi. Today, Zandi told the court that she actually did want to call the police. She just had a, a, a mental freeze of some sort, and she said she just she couldn't think of the number to call the police on. And she says at that point, after she pulled her own phone out of the cushions where she hid it when the intruders arrived. Um, she, she tried to call and she couldn't make out any number, so she ran out to a neighbor's house um, that she called Mapiri. That is, of course, Megi Piri, who is uh, not a stranger, or at least her name is not the first time that we're hearing about that, about her in this particular trial. So she's been detailing that, and right now she broke down that she's been describing what happened when Meiwa was being pulled into the car and was in the vehicle and being driven to the hospital. She says that she could feel his body temperature drop as she touched his stomach and touched his chest, and she tried to keep his eyes open uh, to try and make sure that he at least makes it to the hospital. But, of course, we know what happened after that. Sure, very emotional indeed, Khomotso. Thank you very much, Khomotso Modise, EWN reporter in court for us. Well, let's listen in live now. There is some delay, of course. Um, uh, Zandile Kumalo is speaking in Isizulu, so there is a translator as well. So just keep that in mind that there are uh, quite long silences, uh, but it will give you a sense of what she's testifying about. That they have uh, placed him in that, in that room. Yes. Uh-huh. And then Mawa Hamburger wire towards that room. 
Marlon uh, walk towards that room. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then a few seconds later, Sister Midi Night Lab, Nezu Mami Kuma Ngingin on the other side. Should be calm. While we're still um, standing there, a few seconds down the line, my mother then um, started um, crying or lamenting um, <clears throat> while she was on that, uh, on that other side. Hear her from there. <coughs> did, did your mom, did you hear your mother uh, voicing lamentations from inside, or did you did she emerge amidst lamentations? <laughs> She, she, she um, audibly cried, my lord. And usually when she cries, she doesn't uh, scream. But this time around, there was um, that blast of a cry from her. Sure, very emotive testimony indeed. In the Senzo Miyua trials, and Ile Kumalo understand they're speaking out about the events on the night that Senzo Miyua was shot. The Midday Report. So at the start of the show, I told you about how some residents from Buklu in Santon are protesting outside Megawatt Park over persistent power outages in the area. Some of them haven't had power since Sunday. And um, the, if you have a look at the visuals on, on social media, you'll see big signs saying rotting food. And they've brought their rotten food along, the fruit chicken, and they've left it all there outside Megawatt Park. EWN reporter Gloria Matswere is there for us. Gloria, good afternoon to you. Give us a, a, an idea of, of the picture of what's happening there. Good afternoon, Mandy. So right now, uh, most of the residents have dispersed because they've just had a conversation with Veli uh, Lemajingozi, who is the area manager at, at ESCOM at Megawatt Park, and he has assured the residents that power will be restored by 1 o'clock today. They have dispersed, but they have promised that they will be coming back. Right now, there's still burning tires outside of, the, outside of Megawatt Park. All the rotting food has been left outside. All the signs are still up. And the security guards are still trying to, to clean up the, everything that's been happening. The police have left, but there's still high security right now. Gloria, have you been able to speak to any of those residents? So what are they saying? And, and what's, what's their idea behind the tactic of bringing their rotten food along? So I have managed to speak to some of the residents. And they have mentioned that most of them, actually, most of the people that live in Batu are people that work from home. And they have had to deal with major challenges was trying to work because they haven't had power, which means their Wi-Fi is off, and now they can't really do their work. And on top of that, they've been complaining that their food is rotting. They have newborn babies. They are old. They cannot even want milk for their babies. There's a lady who told me that she broke her arm last year, so she, couldn't, she can't even do her washing by hand. So she has a pile of laundry just, that's just sitting there, and she can't do anything about it. And the reason why they brought their food here is to actually make everyone in Megawatt Park realize that you guys are not doing anything. Because the other thing that they mentioned was that there's a bit of a don't care attitude, and that is 
the exact words that were used. There's a bit of a don't care attitude that comes from ESCOM with regards to fixing this issue because when they sent out technicians, some of these technicians didn't even know where these substations were. Hmm. Gloria, thank you so much. Gloria Motswe, EWN reporter outside Megawatt Park for us. Uh, and and it's, uh, it seems to, to be quite effective. When you take your frot, stinky, rotten chicken and dump it outside Megawatt Park, um, does that uh, urge the powers that be haha, to switch the power back on? Uh, residents of Buklu, uh deciding that that's the tactic that's going to work for them. Go have a look at EWN reporter on Twitter. You'll see some videos uh, on there of all of that rotten food that's been dumped outside Megawatt Park. Is that the strategy? Do you think that would work? Would you do that yourself? Would you go and uh, empty the contents of your fridge and freezer and and go and dump it uh, outside uh, the mayor's office or ESCOM's office or whatever it may be? Send me a WhatsApp voice note. Let me know. The Midday Report. Well, staying on this issue of power and ESCOM, car power ship, you know, the, the floating boats and the electricity that we've been talking so much about. Well, car power ship has secured government permission to moor its ship mounted power plants at three of the country's harbors. A notice granting the consent was issued by the Department of Transport in February, though it wasn't initially publicly disclosed. And those plans, which were initially supposed to be implemented by August last year, we know that there have been continuous lawsuits. There have been challenges. Uh, from environmentalists as well. So the National Department of Transport uh, has put out a statement on the approval of the application to grant car powership access to three ports for a period of 20 years that application approved by the minister. Colin MCB is the Department of Transport spokesperson. Colin, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, you have put out a statement too to clarify this. There are conditions that were attached for the approval. So tell us about what has actually happened here. Uh, good afternoon to you too and thanks for having us. Well, the, the, the conditions are quite clear. We, you apply, the, the car power ship applied about 2021, thereabouts, and we only approved in February this year. Um, we are not uh, an institution which is obliged to then publish when we approve such applications because we must still go through certain processes. And then, that's where the conditions are. That's where we stated that they still need to go to TNPA, which is a, a, a court's authority to then uh, uh, consult with them and, and, and to, 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 to talk to them in terms of the operations that they want to undertake there. So on the basis of that, it's, it's only then that they will be able to operate. So I, I think what's been reported is as though these guys are already starting tomorrow, which is not true. Also, there's issues of environmental assessment that needs yep. to be done. They must still go to the department that is responsible for that. It, it is not our competence to look at those. We, we simply grant approval. Even before we grant approval, we need to go to NTA, uh, 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 the, the Ports Authority to say, here is this application that we've received. Are you able to look at it? Is it something that you can consider? And then they say yes. And in this case, mm. they did say yes, we, we can consider it. And hence, we then granted the approval. My understanding is also, um, because there is a, a new site for the ships in Gora, then that necessitates the filing of a new environmental impact assessment as well. And that could take some time. Indeed. I mean, indeed. Uh, so hence, we're saying that they must allow us just to grant the approval. We need to consider the application that we receive. And it is upon that organization to then go 
uh, the long haul in as far as applying to other authorities to, to be granted. Well, I've seen uh, in the in the in the news that the, some of their application for an environmental assessment, there is a record of refusal by the Department of Environment. So it is, it is their right to do so. They look at those applications. So it's not our, our business in terms of looking at that. So it, it, they would have to do that in all the other ports where we've granted okay. the, 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 the approval. And, and Colin, just for clarity, the duration of these licenses are shorter than previous applications. Is that correct? Well, the, honestly, the, the, the application or the, the duration depends on the applicant. In this case, the 20 years, it was asked by them. So we simply consider what we receive at the time. For instance, over the past eight years, I think we've approved about five or six applications. So it's not a lot of them, but the, the, the duration depends on the, application, on the application that we receive, honestly. Uh, and very lastly, um, did you receive any opposition? Is, is there a, an avenue for people to oppose this or to appeal it in any way? No, in our case, we don't publish and ask for comments. Uh, hence, we consult with the TNPA. If they agree to say they, they can look at, at such, then we, we simply just approve. So the, the, the second stage or the second level of what they then need to do is to go to the environment. That's where the, the, the issue of uh, asking for comments and so forth, it comes into play. But on, in our part, we, 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 not, we don't wait for any, authority or for any organizations to come to us and to say we'll, we'll oppose that. It's, it's not our space to do so. Colin, thank you very much. Colin Mcsevey, the Department of Transport spokesperson, clarifying there that uh, Car Powership has secured government permission uh, to moor its ship-mounted power plants at three of the country's harbours. So that's permission from the Department of Transport. It's not that simple because they need to still get uh, approval. Um, there are environmental issues here. We know there's been a lot of pushback from environmentalists. A lot of people opposed to this idea. We know it's something that Gwede Mantasha, the energy minister, has been pushing very hard. Um, but also, Paul Mashatila, the deputy president, saying that government needs to find short-term power in order to assist with load shedding. Is this now it? The Midday Report. Let's go to KwaZulu-Natal now because the IFP has been having a press conference ahead of the elections next year. Lots to discuss uh, around coalitions and governance. And Franklin Mabaso, KZN EWN reporter, joining us. And Franklin, good afternoon to you. What has the IFP been saying? Well, Mandy, nothing new except uh, that the uh, party is actually gunning for the KZN provincial government in the 2024 elections. You recall, Mandy, that the party saw a significant growth in 2021 here in KwaZulu Natal, taking various municipalities from the ANC, including district and municipalities, which includes um, Umshatu, one of the key municipalities in the northern parts of the province, in Richards Bay, where you would know that it has the second uh, harbor here in, in this particular province. So that's really speaking around their readiness for the upcoming elections, saying that they've now started that journey to campaign for the upcoming elections. But you recall there was that issue of the branding where party members, there was a leaked memo from the party secretary general, C. Paul Nobo, asking that people wearing the regalia with the current president's face, that's Belenko Sinishabisa, be submitted to his office. Members of the media there posing questions to say, was this to discipline or punish any party members? He says, no one was punished, but the party is calling on its members to respect its NEC decision that 
in the upcoming elections, they will be using uh, Prince Mangosu Tubtelezi as their face for the election, saying that he is the party's strongest brand, meaning that people wearing the, meaning the party is, is now, you know, calling those wearing the T-shirt containing all that has the face of the current president, Veleng Osini Shabisa, not to do so, saying that the party's strongest brand in this regard would be Prince Butelis, given his uh, legacy and, and, and credibility meant. Nkakla, thank you very much. Nkakla Mabaso, KZN EWN reporter, speaking to us there about the IFP's press conference earlier today. The Midday Report. The Minister of Health, Dr. Joe Pachla, is calling for vigilance and for the public not to panic as the country has recorded two positive cases of diphtheria disease, the NICD, uh, saying that uh, two laboratory-confirmed cases of the disease were detected in April. The first case was in an adult in KZN. The second case was in the Western Cape in a child. Professor Anne von Gottberg is a clinical microbiologist. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Firstly, um, am I pronouncing it correctly? And what is diphtheria? Diphtheria, um, yes, you're pronouncing it fine. Um, it's a um, respiratory tract infection. It's called by, uh, caused by Coronibacterium diphtheria, and it results in um, mild fever, sore throat, and weakness in individuals. But very importantly, also um, because there's so much swelling, it blocks the airway, and then there's difficulty in breathing. Okay, so, so how does it present? How, how would I, what are some of the symptoms that people need to be aware of? Well, they need to be aware of um, sort of it's a, it's a severe illness, but with sore throat. So initially you might think, oh, I've just got a sore throat, but then the sore throat is lots of inflammation and swelling. Um, and the prevention is um, very importantly vaccines that are available and given routinely. Um, so we're telling people to remember uh, parents and guardians for the infants to go for all the infant vaccines because diphtheria, anti-diphtheria is in that um, or the, the vaccine and um, and also to go for catch-up. If anyone's missed vaccine doses, they should just present for catch-up doses. Okay, so so it is a vaccine that is given to children as part of the routine vaccines, as you say. Um, so is that a, a message that you would put out to the public, urging them that they should check to see if they are vaccinated? Well, yes. In fact, uh, I think with all the diseases that are now doing around and with the measles and with all um, the discussions, even pertussis, it's the one... It's the same message we are putting out there. Please, for parents and guardians, um, just think through, did they go for all their vaccines or take their children for all their vaccines? If not, just to present to the clinics and hospitals. They can also check the, um, the, the cards, vaccination cards to help. And then they'll catch up for all of the diseases that we can prevent um, with vaccination. And diphtheria is just one of them, but this is the message that we're putting out there. And then very importantly, we also want clinicians to be aware to look out for the symptoms. It's, an, it's a rare disease. We haven't seen it for a few years. There was a small cluster in 2015. So clinicians have lots to do and lots to think about. And so we just want to create awareness so that doctors are also thinking about mm. diphtheria as part of their differential diagnosis. Prof, thank you so much, uh, Professor Anne von Gottberg, clinical microbiologist, the NICD, um, putting out that warning. There have been two cases of diphtheria disease. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. Wrapping up a Friday, as always, with the good things guy, Brent Lindeke. Brent, happy Friday. Happy Friday, man, to you and all of the 702 and Cape Talk listeners. So, so Brenty, uh, the story about the stolen dogs that have been reunited uh, with their family after three years, it's just so heartwarming. 
it's absolutely heartwarming. So, so Wendy Dazel, um, she's from Port Elizabeth. Uh, during the beginning stages of the pandemic, it was sort of April 2020, their two dogs got stolen out of their garden and, and they couldn't really look for them because the community, obviously, we were all under lockdown. We couldn't really leave our houses. And it was really just a tragic story for this entire family. Fast forward to three years, to 2023, and um, just last week, uh, or it was actually in April, so a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, a lady found one of the dogs at the beach. She didn't know the dog belonged to them, took it to the vet, had it uh, scanned for the microchip, found out it was her pup, and then a couple of days later, they found the second pup in almost the same week that they got stolen three years apart. That's so weird. Wow, that's amazing. What a cool story. Yeah, incredible stuff. Uh, and then we've got great restaurants and great bars in South Africa. Over 80 South African restaurants and bars have been served global awards. Yeah, so this was a crazy story. Um, I think it was over the weekend, a couple of mainstream media wa- uh, websites and, and sort of publications picked up on the UK-based Lux Life magazine Global Awards. And there were these articles that were being shared saying that three South African restaurants had received these awards. And, and my team were just like, no way, it can't only be three. South Africa has got so many great eateries, we've got bars, we've got restaurants. So they spent the whole day searching. The, the website was very complicated, but they found almost 100 South African bars, restaurants and eateries that had received some of these awards. Some of my favorites, Shea Argentinian Grill, Cowfish, Eclipse, Old Duck, and of course Siba, which is down there in Cape Town. Brilliant. Um, And then a denim skirt and a conversation. Tell us about this moment of kindness that changed everything. So I think this story is vastly important because we drive, a lot of, many of us drive on the roads in South Africa every day and we see people on our intersections who are in need of help. And what this story brings to light is that sometimes it doesn't need to be money that you hand over. It could just be a smile or a conversation or a hello. Lana Brunner was driving in Pretoria. She was visiting her sister in Centurion and um, she saw a man standing on the side of the road holding up like quite a creative denim dress, denim skirt that had been made. She chatted him a little bit. Um, something intrigued her. The robot went green. She sort of went forward and, and something in her stomach said, go back. You need to go back to find out what the story is. So she did. She did a U-turn went back to chat to him. He was selling that to raise funds to put his child through fashion school. And his child's absolutely obsessed with fashion. Uh, Lana took to social media to ask people if they could give a little bit of money um, to the cause. And they raised over 6,000 rand in a matter of hours. And and it looks like they've enrolled this kid into a fashion design school. Oh, that's incredible, Brent. So those are the kind of stories that we love. You bring them to us, uh, and they really can just change the way people view the country. So thank you so much. Brent, have a lacquer weekend. Thank you very much. What do we say? Light in the time of darkness, right? No pun intended. Thank you, Brent. (laughs) I hope all of the listeners, I hope you guys just have the most incredible weekend. And as always, as I say, wishing you only good things. Only good things. Brent Lindeku, the good things guy, wrapping up the week. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know. This is the Midday Report.